the gospel. And uh, in the opening chapter, Paul is saying how he's often longed to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And uh, he is going to go there, but he sends a letter ahead. And Romans is all about the gospel. The first four chapters outline the gospel so very, very clearly. Man's plight and the power of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives for me, dies for me, he rose again. And uh, faith alone in Christ alone brings the sinner uh, to know God. Uh, the righteousness of God is given to us as a gift and Christ takes our sin. And then the next four chapters, uh, five to eight, show the absolute assurance of salvation. Once saved, always saved. Why? Because it's the power of God and not the power of man. Even the faith that I have isn't my own. It's not human faith. It's not human deduction. It is a gift from God. And uh, God's promises to the believer can never, ever fail. Once saved, always saved. And then come chapters 9 to 11, uh, a necessary, some say digression. Uh, in some sense, we can say, well, really, it's a, it's a progression. Uh, if once saved, always saved, what about the case and the situation of the nation of the Jews, the Israelites? God made promises to them. Uh, have they failed? And the chapter, chapter 9 opens up with uh, Paul being inspired by the Spirit to say, well, it's uh, not all physical Israel is the real Israel. It's not according to human descent or a human decision. It's about the promises. And so it was Isaac and not Ishmael. It's Jacob and not uh, Esau. And uh, it's according to promises and God's purposes in election, without which, as uh, James Montgomery Boyce says, um, we would all be lost. It is God's secret weapon, God's purposes in election, God's secret weapon without which none would be saved. So God's promises have not failed. They were always towards spiritual Israel and the Israel of the promise. But when it comes to national Israel, it's very much mentioned here in verses 9 to 11. Paul is often speaking about national Israel Despite the fact that so few really believed and were part of spiritual Israel, God always uh, maintained a remnant, a remnant. So chapter 9 and verse 27. There goes one of my lights, excuse me. I'll just pick my light back up. Lights are back on. I need one of those halos, Nick, for next week, perhaps, to make things a little bit easier. Romans 9.27, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand on the sea, only a remnant of them shall be saved. It's always a remnant according to promise. National Israel, have God's promises failed? No, there will always be uh, a remnant. Has God rejected Israel, that's the opening statement in Romans chapter 11. No, certainly not. But Israel has rejected God. As we looked at last Sunday evening, those um, amazing words at the end of chapter 10, quoting Isaiah 65 and verse 2. God speaking, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And without God's purposes in election, 
The gospel would be ineffective all day long. God might make his pleas towards lost mankind, but outside God's secret weapon, not one, not one, not one. No one, no, not even one would respond. But then we have this then, chapter 11. God asks, uh, the question is posed. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected his people? And by his people, make no mistake, he's speaking about Israelites, national nation Israel. Has God rejected the nation of Israel? Um, They've rejected him. Has he rejected them? And the answer comes very quickly and very positively. Has God rejected his people by no means by no means it's a very powerful statement it's the same statement that's used in uh, Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2 what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound remember the end of chapter 5 where sin abounded there did grace more abound or superabound well some say If that's the case, if God is so forgiving, shall we just continue in sin? And uh, God speaks by no means. And here in chapter 11, has God rejected the nation of Israel, national Israel? And the answer comes very powerfully, by no means. And in the next few verses, God uh, inspires Paul to raise Three proofs to show that God has not rejected the nation of Israel. And the first proof that Paul brings, Exhibit A, is found in the rest of verse 1 of chapter 11. Uh, He holds himself up as an example. I ask then, has God rejected his people, national Israel? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, he's speaking about national Israel, a descendant of Abraham, he's speaking about physical Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Has God rejected Israel? By no means. Uh, I'm living proof of that. I myself am an Israelite. Remember the words that Paul uh, uses in Philippians. And the third chapter in speaking about himself in giving his own testimony. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Jew of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. No, I am an Israelite, says Paul. I am a Jew. I am part of national uh, Israel, the nation of Israel. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, making his defense before the crowd around the temple in Jerusalem. He says to the crowd, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, 
educated the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Uh, Paul was a Jew. Paul was an Israelite. And if only one Israelite were to be saved, God has kept his promise and God has not rejected Israel. I am a Jew, says Paul, and I am saved. And therefore, no, that's his first answer. God has not rejected his people because I myself am an Israelite. So here's exhibit A. I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite. God has not rejected the nation because I am a part of that nation. I am an Israelite. Exhibit B that Paul brings up is in verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Again, the foreknowledge of God. And this powerful Greek word, we've come across it on many occasions now in Romans. The foreknowledge of God. He foreknew them. Pro genosco. uh, To have known them before. But this word for knowledge is a very powerful and a very wonderful and a very intimate knowledge. It's not just head knowledge, but it's powerfully experimental knowledge. And it comes from eternity past, says Paul, and it lays hold of me in time. Progenosco, we could say it is eternal love. Uh, God has not rejected his people whom he loved from eternity past. Has Israel been rejected by God? Remember now, national Israel, I am a Jew. Paul's making the case for the nation of Israel. God has not rejected Israel, number one, because I am a Jew and I'm saved. So Israel has not been rejected. I'm living proof of that. And secondly, It is in the purposes of God to love his people, his people whom he has loved from eternity. Israel, his people are the subjects of his, God's eternal love. And God's love, the love of God, the eternal love of God is bigger, vaster, greater by far than all human sin and rebellion and rejection. And God will work according to his purposes. Remember that uh, verse we quoted already, Romans 5 and verse 20, where sin abounded, there did grace much more superabound. The word is a very powerful one. Sin abounding, and it's rampant around about us here in Cardiff, throughout Wales, throughout the whole world, the darkness and degradation of sin. But thank God for grace and thank God for his purposes in election. Thank God for his eternal love, the progenosco of God. And it is far more powerful than all the sin and rebellion of mankind, men and women individually and nations collectively. Um, An obvious hymn came to my mind and a hymn written in the revivals here uh, in Wales in times past. 
here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Do we forget it tonight? It's where we go astray. It's where we can feel bereft and desolate. We forget the love of God. The love of God will never forget you, but we can forget the love of God. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy, flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and God's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world with love. If he had not loved us first, we would refuse him still. But Proginosco, has God rejected his people? Certainly not. I'm an example, a living example of that, says Paul. And then secondly, in verse 2, theologically, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then finally, the third exhibit Paul wants to bring concerns the 7,000, the 7,000. Uh, he's going back to the days of Elijah. Let me read the verses now. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. Elijah, we know the accounts. Uh, no need to spend time going through it. Elijah, a notable saint, an obvious believer in the living God. The fact that Elijah was uh, a believer was upfront and obvious. It wasn't hidden. If you met Elijah, I was thinking this morning, what will people think about me? What do people know about me? Is it my interests or is it upfront and obvious that I am a Christian. What about you? What about me? If Elijah, if you met Elijah, there'd be no doubt at all that he was a believer. But we're not all like that. We're not all like that. And uh, some Christians think every other Christian ought to be like them, but that's not the case. We're all different, and grace will work in different ways in you and in me and in uh, myriads of other believers. But Elijah felt every Christian had to be exactly like him. It was good that he was upfront and obvious, but not every Christian was upfront and obvious. Remembering my university days here in Cardiff, I'd been converted after my first year. I came back to Cardiff University and um, I met a few people who were obviously Christians. There was young, one young man, I, still going on with the Lord. He's serving uh, the Lord in Swansea uh, in um, a gospel hall there, Dunvant Mission in Swansea. Uh, Phil Davis, his name. And he arrived in Cardiff University to do study biology. And uh, the first day I met him, it was obvious that he was a, a Christian because he was covered in stickers Jesus loves you, God loves you, smile, God loves you. Uh, John 3, 16, they were all over him and badges on his cap as well. And he decided that when he went to university, he wanted to make a stand. And boy, did he make a stand. The first thing you knew about Phil is that he was a Christian. 
Another young man, slightly uh, uh, fuzzy and slightly wacky, uh, but definitely a believer, a man called Edmund. I can't remember his surname now. He went to the, uh, the Pentecostal church, the city temple. And um, we were walking down the street together and a lad approached us and said, excuse me, mate, have you got a light? And Edmund said, yes, I have got a light. Jesus Christ, he's the light of the world, the light of my life. He needs to be the light of your life. Is he the light of your life? Uh, he came to, to take away your sin. Yeah, I've got a light. It's Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, I felt a little bit embarrassed, to, to be honest, but to Edmund was very much up front. One more example. Young man who came in his first year to Cardiff University. I was in a hall of residence with him and we had meals made for us in the canteen. And uh, we, we all sat round on a table, a bunch of unbelievers, me, a newly converted Christian, and this lad, who is now minister of uh, Ebenezer in Swansea, Graham John. Graham John bowed his head to give thanks for his food. And uh, one of my non-Christian friends said to, to Graham, well, what's something wrong? What's the matter with you? He thought he was ill. No, I'm just giving thanks to God for my, for my food. Well, what about you and what about me? There's no doubt if you met Elijah, he was one of those uh, Phil Davis or an Edmund or a, or a Graham John. It was up front and it was obvious. Elijah, was he a believer? Yes, there was no doubt about it. But after the um, great, great event of the uh, prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and the slaying of the prophets of Baal, uh, Jezebel, the uh, commander-in-chief of the prophets of Baal, the queen in Israel, is very, very upset. And she vows to take Elijah's life. And Elijah, who's just been used mightily by God, is afraid. He's afraid. Um, and he complains to God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only believer in Israel. And uh, what's more, Jezebel's about to take my life. And what will come of your promises then? Uh, it'll all be up because I'm the last one. And if she kills me, that's the end. As far as Elijah's concerned, he's the only believer left. I wonder if we feel the same at times, that in our neighbourhoods, uh, maybe in our extended families, maybe in our school or college, Maybe you feel in your workplace. Have you met any Christians yet? Do you think there are any? Have you had a really good look? Have you asked God to lead you to other believers at school, college, in your workplace? It might surprise you to find just how many believers there are there. Or maybe you're like an Elijah. Well, there's nobody up front and obvious, so maybe I'm the only one. When we think about uh, the area of St. Melons or Eastern Cardiff, how many Christians do you think there are in Eastern Cardiff? Are we more likely to underestimate or to overestimate the true number? Of course, God alone knows. In our congregation, if it's not lockdown, maybe there's 140 or so people uh, in the chapel on a Sunday morning. How many in Eastern Cardiff? 70,000? There are a few other fellowships I know, but it seems to be so very, very few. Do we ever feel down about the situation? What is God's reply to Elijah? Well, here it is in verse four. So here's the next exhibit. But what is God's reply to him, Elijah? 
I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, I just noticed that I'm reading it, 7,000 men, like the feeding of 5,000. How many were fed at the feeding of the 5,000? Well, 5,000 men. So women and children were not counted in that number. And when it comes to those who God has preserved in Israel, uh, 7,000 men, there would have been women uh, and there would have been children. So Elijah, Elijah has underestimated grace. And you and I are prone to underestimate grace. But progenosco is very, very powerful. God's purposes are never thwarted. Here is a mighty flood from eternity, a tidal wave of grace. And don't get down in the mouth about uh, the situation spiritually. Believe in God, trust in him. Elijah, there's more than just you. I've kept 7,000 men. I mean, by how much had Elijah, this upfront prominent Christian, underestimated grace? Well, thousands upon thousands of times he'd underestimated the power of God's purposes in election and the power of uh, progenosco, this uh, foreordination, this uh, love from eternity. Well, then comes the application, the application. Verse 5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen according to grace or two at the present time. Well, let's think about the time when Paul was writing. Uh, it does seem that so few Jews believed in Paul's time and hence the question comes up. But he's around about 60 AD now and Paul says far from there being just a few. Actually, there is a large number who have been saved according to grace. I'm not like Elijah, says Paul. Uh, I know I'm not the only one. Paul is an Elijah-like figure. He's prominent and he's up front, but he's also well aware that many other Israelites have been saved. And uh, we are here in Wales, and we should have a passion for Wales. We should have a passion for Cardiff, St. Melons, you ought to have a passion for your family. I ought to have a passion for my family. You ought to have a passion for your workmates. Why are you working where you work? It's not just to do a job. God has placed you there for a reason, for a reason. Do we care? Are we seeking God to give us opportunities to find other believers there already that we might pray with and talk with and, uh, and plan with? Oh, even at the time there for Paul, uh, 60 AD, there is a remnant. There is a remnant in Israel, uh, according to grace. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant. We're well used to the uh, term remnant. Whenever we want a, a carpet for our bedroom, uh, we don't get it off the roll. We look for a remnant. And it's brought and it's, uh, it's fitted for us, a carpet or a piece of cloth. And here's a remnant of a nation, uh, a company of people, the nation of Israel. A number, a remnant saved according what? Well, how are they saved? 
because they were better than other Israelites, because they deserved to be saved. No, no, God is very clear here. So too at the present time, 60 AD, he's speaking about, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Election, God's secret weapon without which none would be saved, without which all day long he'd be holding out his arms to a disobedient and a contrary people. Now, a great remnant there in the first century. Pentecost, about 3,000 Jews were saved that day. Israelites, pretty soon after it had swelled to 5,000. And then we have this recording, God adding daily, to the number such as should be saved. Wherever Paul went on his missionary journeys, he began in the synagogue of the Jews, and there were always some uh, who believed. So back to the question, and Paul has answered it emphatically. I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means, I'm a Jew. God's purposes, according to election, his foreknowledge, and uh, as in the case of Elijah, 7,000, so too today, uh, there is a remnant saved according to grace. And what about, let's bring it right up to date, 2021. What about, let's take national Israel uh, again. There are Jews who believe. There are Christian missions, the Christian witness to Israel. We get uh, letters, we get appeals and to come and speak to us. Does God have any plans for the nation of Israel? Here's something we could speak about afterwards. Please do come on to Zoom uh, following this particular service. I've got a couple of questions maybe we could throw around together. Uh, if conversation flows naturally on spiritual things, that's fine. Uh, if we need some encouragement, I've got one or two questions to, to throw out. What about 2021? God still has plans for the nation of Israel. That might surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you. God has plans for the nation of Israel. In 70 AD, the armies of uh, Titus rolled into Jerusalem, the Roman armies, uh, the temple was destroyed and the nation of Israel was scattered among the nations, not just taken into exile as in the Old Testament times into Babylon, but scattered amongst uh, the nations. And from that particular point onwards, um, there was much anti-Semitism, people against the, the, the Jews, and they were an oppressed people. In the nations, they would often do rather well in business and finance and many things, but uh, often rejected by the people. I was watching a program last night on the, the Black Death, the plague in the 14th century, where now we think we're in the midst of a pandemic now, and we are, we are. Uh, thank God for his grace and his mercy to us. But in the 14th century, uh, roughly half the population of Europe and Asia were wiped out by the plague, the, the Black uh, Death. But uh, in many areas, the, the Jews were blamed and uh, many were burnt alive to try and uh, uh, stave off God's wrath. How, how awful, how God's people suffered throughout the rolling centuries, culminating in the Holocaust where six million Jews 
were executed, annihilated uh, under Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. A hopeless case. Does God still have a plan for the nation of Israel, national Israel and Jews? Has God rejected his people? No. God's promises remain the same. God's purposes for his people remain the same. I've often been struck reading through J.C. Ryle. Now, J.C. Ryle is writing the 19th century. Remember, the Jews were given their homeland again in 1947. In the 19th century, that was a distant dream. It would thought to be fanciful that the Jews would ever return to their own homeland. But here's J.C. Ryle from his expository thoughts. I believe, he's writing in 1865 here, I believe that the Jews shall ultimately be gathered again as a separate nation. What? What? It's fanciful, surely. Restored to their own land. Converted to faith in Jesus Christ after going through a great tribulation. He quotes Jeremiah 30, 10 to 11. Jeremiah 31 and verse 10. And Romans 11, verses 25 and 26, which we're coming up towards, and then all Israel shall be saved. Another piece of writing from Ryle in his uh, expository thoughts. I beseech you to take up, a new, uh, take up anew the prophetical scriptures and to pray that you may not err in interpreting their meaning. Read them in the light of those two great pole stars, the first and second advents of Jesus Christ. Bind up with the first advent, the rejection of the Jews, the calling of the Gentiles, the preaching of the gospel as a witness to the world, and gathering out of the election of grace. Bind up with the second advent, the restoration of the Jews, the outpouring of judgment on the unbelieving Christian world. And then he goes on a little further. Reader, however great the difficulties surrounding many parts of unfulfilled prophecy, two points appear to my mind to stand out as plainly as if written by a sunbeam. One of those points is the second personal advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. The other of these events is the future literal gathering of the Jewish nation and the restoration to their own land. And I tell you, when he was writing in 1860, that was a fanciful dream. But it happened. Does God still have his purposes for his ancient people, Israel? Uh, Paul would say yes, and the Bible would say uh, yes, very definitely so. What about us? What about our area? What about Wales? Does God have a plan for Wales, are there any purposes for God, for St. Melons? We know he works with individuals, but does he work in families? Does he work amongst nations? What about our area? Do we underestimate the grace of God here, his progenosco, his uh, foreordained love, his purposes in election? We need to press on. We need to look up. We need to trust God. We need to live. We need to speak. We need to be about our father's business. We need to pray. 
The prayer meeting is so important. Our own personal prayer times are absolutely vital. We need to press on. I had um, a text from Alan Reese this week. I've often told you about Alan Reese that whenever he speaks to me, a text or an email or speaks to me personally, the last thing he will say is press on. And so it was again, a text came asking how things were, and he finished with those words, press on. Let me finish with those words in the light of God's purposes in election. Press on, press on, never despair, never think you're the only one. God has a remnant according to to grace well i hope you can join us on zoom shortly let's pray together and we'll sing a final hymn father thank you for your purposes your divine love your eternal love forgive us that we can make it so small at times yet it is love vast as the ocean loving kindness as the flood we pray lord you help us to see our place and our position to keep on pointing to the savior of lost mankind, our only hope. It is all my business here below to cry, behold the Lamb. Give us compassion for those who we rub shoulders with day by day. Give us opportunities even tomorrow to speak to some poor lost soul about the Saviour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>